Oh, I'm so grateful for each of you in the room tonight. Um, and I believe, and I mean this in all sincerity, this, this isn't just one of those pastory things to say. I believe it's not an accident that you're sitting in the chair that you're sitting in tonight. Like, I have been praying through this week, uh, about, about tonight, specifically through all last week, and uh, praying that God would, because who knows? I mean, it's, most of campus is closed today. And uh, I was like, God, I trust that you're going to bring into this room who you want to bring into this room tonight. So I'm glad you're here. I think he has a special place to take us. Um, I know that uh, for some of you, like if I took you to the Chicago Museum of Art, that would, you would be really excited about that day trip. I know for others of you, if I took you to an art museum, you would do anything in your power to avoid that, all right? So I recognize there are different types of people in the room, but I'm going to ask you to all be artistic for just one moment with me, okay? Um, I'm going to put a piece of art on the, the screen. Um, I should, I should uh, reference the artist's name, Nathan Sawaya. He's a New York artist. He made this out of Legos, okay? 7,500 Legos. Um, he built this, this art exhibit. And I, I want to ask you for a moment to engage with this. What I mean by that is, I want you to, I want you to think about what this makes you feel in a word. Don't say it out loud, just hold it yourself, but give it a second. Looking at this piece of artwork, how do you engage with that? If you're brave enough, what are some of the words that come to mind? Sacrifice, what was the other one? There were two, I know there were two. What was it? Not talented. Let's say that one. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Couple more. Say them loud. I'm super old. <laughs> Love. Uh, okay, that was the same time. What were those? Grief. Selfless. Spirit led. All right, I'm gonna shut it down because we could go for a very long time, and I wouldn't hear most of them. Okay. Um, for me, the words vulnerability, which is one of the words that came up, none of those are wrong, obviously, because what you are doing there is engaging with how this speaks to you. That's what art's about, okay? But for me, when I saw this picture, it was like, man, that's, that speaks to vulnerability, what it's like to be able to open up your chest to somebody else. And I got to tell you guys, when I sat down to, to start prepping for this, probably a week and a half ago for tonight, and opened to this text, I was like, oh, no, because <laughs> this... This is one of those texts for me that's super tender. That I, it's difficult for me to preach. I had forgotten I'd even put it on the schedule. I didn't realize I'd put it on the schedule this early. And the oh no moment for me was because like, I don't want to be like that guy on the third date who way overshares. You know what I mean? Like that person who shows up and you're like, we should not have talked about this on date three. Okay? And I'm sort of feeling that way tonight because I know that a lot of you are new to our ministry and a lot of you, but in, in this, this, this scripture tonight is tender to me. It opens my chest more than I want to tonight to you. And as I've prayed and as I've struggled through that, God's like, no, Ben, there's a reason this is on the schedule. This is where we're headed tonight. It's like, all right, then we'll head there together. So here's the text. The text comes out of Luke, the book of Luke, and it is this incredibly tender moment that happens to Jesus. It's a real story, okay? And Jesus, I'm just going to launch straight into the text because I'm going to have to interrupt the text several times. So I'll just dive right in to Luke 7. So we start here. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. 
So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them with her hair, wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Right, so this sets the stage for us tonight. This is the story, the setting at the very least. There's more to it, but there's enough here, isn't there already? I mean, that's a pretty good story by itself. Jesus is at a Pharisee's house, and a woman shows up randomly, a prostitute nonetheless, and starts ugly crying, not just like tenderly, gently shedding a tear. She's ugly crying at this social occasion, weeping on his feet, tears falling on his feet, spilling perfume on his feet, wiping it with her hair, making a scene at this religious guy's house. And we're just at the beginning of the story. It's a good setup. So first, let's talk about who we have on the screen right now. Number one, we've got the Pharisee. And if you've never been around church before, you're like, I don't know what a Pharisee is. Okay, a Pharisee was like this religious group, this very specific and powerful and influential religious group at the time. They were very into God's law, into following the law. They were so good at following the law, they wrote several Jewish volumes on top of the Old Testament to talk about exactly how you did follow the law, and then they debated all of those things together. It was all about the law. And so, you guys, here's what I want you to understand. They were really good at following the rules, better than you are. They lived this life, and you can sense it at the tone in the bottom of the screen. He's saying, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. You catch the vibe there? I'm here, she is here. And he's trying to figure out where Jesus is in that equation, which sounds like it's somewhere in between, because he's like, if this guy was who he said he was, he would know who's touching him. That's the Pharisee, who we'll learn later in the story. His name is Simon. Who else do we have here? Well, we have the woman. And I, I think that I put the Greek word actually in there, a certain immoral woman. I threw that in there because that word immoral is only used a few times in Scripture. And it's the reason why we think she's a prostitute is because it's kind of reserved for people who've got extreme sin issues that are going on in their life. This isn't just a little, you know, she's not somebody who's told a white lie yesterday. This woman is living a life of prostitution, selling her body. Everybody knows it. And she comes into this space desperate. Okay, so she's one of the other characters. And who else do we have? We have Jesus. You probably know who he is. But you probably don't understand the context of this because it's like, how did she get in the house? Like, if we're talking about a dinner party at your house, it would be especially weird if suddenly there's a prostitute in the dining room. And you're like, how did, that, how, how did that happen? Okay, culturally not the same thing. There are a few differences that are important here. Okay, one of them is they would eat reclining. I don't know how to do this except maybe to model it, but like they sort of laid like this kind of on an arm and the table would be right here and their feet would be away from the table. It's kind of a cozy way. I mean, they just sit and just kind of eat and talk. And that's what they, when it says that they would recline together, that's what it's talking about. It's just this casual way. And they're sort of outside. Think of it like a patio, okay? And culturally, there was a rule that the poor in a social gathering like this, it was okay for them to, to sort of be in the background. Because if there was food left over, 
socially, it was okay to give it to them while they were there. So it was sort of a way culturally for them to address poverty, which is neat. So in this situation, there's other people who are having dinner here as well. There are some poor people who are hanging out around the edges, which would have been perfectly normal. There are these other people who are kind of reclining around the table. And that's how this woman makes a scene. So first of all, it's not weird that she's hanging out at the edge. That's, that's not weird. But when she comes up to Jesus and touches him, that was not culturally okay. Not especially culturally okay today either, by the way. If you're in a restaurant, you don't just walk up and like start touching somebody's feet. Still not culturally okay, right? That wasn't culturally okay then either. But it also wasn't okay for her to unbind her hair. That was a, a sign of intimacy. And so for her to let down her hair while she's touching Jesus' feet was an incredible act of intimacy there. Not culturally okay in that moment. So she breaks through these cultural barriers that are there interrupts this dinner that's there. And Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Let's keep going with our story. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Notice that part. None of this has Simon actually said out loud. He's thought to himself, if Jesus was who he said he was, he would know this woman is a sinner. And Jesus goes ahead and so miracle number one answers the man's thoughts here, okay? Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Note the response there, too. It's just a little aside. Go ahead, teacher, because it tells us who the Pharisee believes that Jesus is. He doesn't say, go ahead, Messiah. He doesn't say, go ahead, Lord. He says, go ahead, teacher, Gives him that, but that's all he gives. And Jesus launches into a mini parable. This thing just keeps going, all right? Jesus launches into a mini parable and says, and Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose, which, let me interrupt again, tells us he's not too excited to answer this question because <laughs> he, he kind of sees where this is going. I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Let me pause again. If you're reading in your Bible, it might not talk about silver pieces. It might talk about denarii or a denarius in this spot. Let me just, most scholars would say the difference here in money, we're talking about one of these being about $50,000, if I tried to translate it in today's terms, and one of them being $500,000 in today's terms, okay? Now, if I wrote you a check for either of those amounts of money, you would cash it, Okay? That's not one of those that would get lost. You would remember where that $500,000 check is at if I wrote you one tonight. I'm not going to, okay? But you would remember where that's at. Here's the difference between a $50,000 debt and a $500,000 debt. You can repay a $50,000 debt. Some of you are like, mm, I cannot do that. No, we'd have to get a payment plan. You would have to change your school plans. Like, it would, it would be a major life-altering event for me to throw $50,000 of debt on you right now and say, start paying it back immediately. You'd have to change some things, but it could be done. It could be done in a few years. 
But if I told you that you had a $500,000 debt, half a million dollars that needed repayment now, it's unpayable to most of you in the room. And I, I want to give you tonight that that's what Jesus is throwing out. In this parable, he's saying, hey, there's two people. One of them has a very difficult but repayable debt, and one of them has an unpayable debt. Both of those debts are canceled. Which will love him more? And the answer, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus replied. Then he continues. We'll finish our story here. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. That was a customary thing, by the way. Simon was supposed to have done that and didn't. You didn't greet me with a kiss, which was a customary thing that Simon didn't do. But from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. Again, common cultural thing. But she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. And so she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, oh man, read this again later this week. Go to Luke 7 and sit in this passage if you would. I, I don't think I can do it justice in the half hour that we have together. All right, but let me tell you a wrong lesson of this parable, a way that you might accidentally misinterpret this parable. And I think I did when I was a young Christian. You might look at this parable and think that Jesus is saying, hey, because she has sinned so much, and because you, Pharisee, have sinned so little, she is automatically going to love me more. That's a bad reading of this parable. Why? Jesus isn't saying that the Pharisee hasn't sinned much. He is saying that a person who knows that their forgiveness is deep, a person who is aware of how broken they are, will love God because they know that they have been rescued. They will live in a state of the right kind of debt, realizing that you have been given a gift that you can't repay. So we don't look at this parable and say, oh, sweet, I haven't sinned that much. Well, that means I can't love God that much. Wrong is not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying this woman is aware of where she is. She understands the state of grace that she lives in every day. And therefore, this just comes pouring out of her as an act of worship. How can it not? How can it not when you live in a place of grace? when you understand how broken you are on the inside and how much that you need rescued. You guys, the, the point of this parable is for you to come to terms with the fact that you have an unpayable debt, that you do and that I do, that we have an unpayable debt that we can't repay. We are all of the $500,000 variety, <laughs> in other words, here. This is where we belong. All over Scripture, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But just sit and stare at this one for a while. Coming out of Isaiah, 
It's poetry of the worst kind. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Isaiah is saying even the best we got to bring is just this crappy old filthy rag stuff. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. That's you, Isaiah's talking about, and me. I'm the woman, and so is the Pharisee. That's what's crazy about this story. What's the greatest commandment? This is audience participation time. What's the greatest commandment? I, <laughs> I heard, mush, 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 mush. What was it? Love God. God. And the second one is like it. Love others. others. Matthew 22, I think, tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So that's a pretty important thing. If Jesus is going to say this is the greatest commandment for us, what flows out of that in us should be how do I fulfill that commandment? And you guys, what I'm talking about tonight takes us straight there because Jesus is saying, if you want an outpouring of love to your heavenly Father, if you want to know what it means to love God, then know how broken you are. We talk about the good news of the gospel a lot. That's a word that's used in the Bible all over the place, that Jesus came to preach the good news. You, want, you guys know why we need good news? Because there's bad news that comes before the good news. The bad news is I'm broken I know that our culture talks about how each of us is beautiful. They have it half right. They really do. Because we are beautiful. We're made in the image of God. We are capable of unbelievably incredible things. We have his wisdom and his creativity. But we're broken. Beautiful and broken. Wonderful but flawed. That's who you are. You know it. You feel it. I don't think there's any of you in the room that are like, no, not flawed. I got, I, perfect. I can claim perfection. Stand in front of you and claim perfection. None of you are going to be gutsy enough to do that because you feel it. There's something in you that isn't right. And Jesus tells us you need rescued, redemption. Some of you have never experienced that. Some of you did, have made that decision years and years and years ago. But you know what? We both still come to that same place, whether it's out of familiarity, like the Pharisee who's been around religious stuff his whole life, and he's grown so accustomed to these conversations and religious debates and all these things that he can talk about, all the ways that he can impress you with what he does. And Jesus just th- slides it all to the side and is like filthy rags, even your righteous deeds. Some of you in this room have done amazing things with your life. In the grand scheme of things, still filthy rags. We still come before the God who has to redeem and restore and rescue us. And that's the beginning point of worship. Because it doesn't produce shame anymore. You might think, well, then we, we, we live in this weird religious guilt where I have to hate myself compared to... No, 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 no. You're freed from that. You serve a God who loves you and believes in you and is for you and has rescued and redeemed you. And when you begin to realize you were the one who's forgiven the unpayable debt, when you begin to see yourself as the sinful woman, the prostitute in this story, it leads to worship. God, this is all I have to offer. This little jar of perfume that I used to use for evil, I'm just giving that to you. I got my hair. 
I'm going to dare you right now to put yourself in this story. Some of you relate very much to the sinful woman. And can I just speak Hebrews 4.16 to you where you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. You don't come as a beggar, you come as a child that you still need rescued and restored. Some of you very much feel that way when you come in the presence of God. Some of you, though, as you put yourself in this story, you see yourself as somebody else. Because there's a crowd here, too. I didn't really talk about them as, a, as a, a character in the story. But there's a crowd, and the crowd's not involved at all. I mean, there's other people around the table eating supper. They're just sitting there watching this, you know, like eyes going back and forth from prostitute to Pharisee to Jesus to prostitute to Pharisee to Jesus, just taking it all in. But they're not doing anything, spectators. They're watching it all go down. Maybe you relate to that. I have seen spiritual change in the lives of other people, but I just don't know. That seems weird. It seems fanatical. I see, like, I see the lives of the Pharisees over there who are totally into all the rules. I don't want to do that. Maybe it's just easy to sit here and eat and watch. I can spectate all of it. Maybe that's who you resonate with. Maybe some of you resonate with the Pharisee. You've gotten so used to the rules and the housekeeping of the way that people do church. You are very comfortable in that mode and very uncomfortable outside of it. Jesus busts your stereotypes wide open in this passage with this woman. He won't let you stay in that space. You understand why I didn't want to preach this tonight? <laughs> it just rips your chest wide open because it forces you into the story. It forces me into the story, and I have to come to terms with my own sin. I have to come to terms with my own debt. I have to come back to a place where I'm willing to bend my knee again in front of the Savior and say, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need your rescue, and I need it badly. For those of you who might resonate with the Pharisee, Ezekiel 36 might be for you. Maybe this is a word God needs to speak to you tonight. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Maybe that's a word for you tonight specifically. But for all of us, I want you to remember Jesus' specific words to you that are, if you believe you have only been forgiven a little, you're only going to love a little. If you believe that you have been forgiven greatly and that you have been rescued, you will love well. So you can wake up every morning and remember that you have been repaid an unpa unbelievably unpayable debt, something a hole that you could not have gotten out of on your own. And instead of it leading to you to a place of being like, well, I just have to earn this, or well, I just have to beg long enough, or well, I, it, doesn't, it erases all of that stuff, and you get to just come to your Father, come to Christ. You get to wet His feet with your tears. You get to dry Him with your hair. And you get to be that person in the story. The first time that I really, that this, this just resonated with me in a, in a, in a different way, I had to come to terms with my own brokenness. 
I had to think about my own internal anger that couldn't be controlled, my own internal lust that I couldn't find answers for, my judgment toward others, a critical spirit, a sense of depression, like all of this stuff that was swirling in my head. I showed very little people, or very few people got to see that side of me at the time because I held that inside, but I was very familiar with it. And suddenly when I put myself in this story and I realized that I was free to just pour that out at the feet of Christ and find healing, that there was a different space that he had for me to walk, I resonated with this woman in a way that I didn't even fully understand at the time. And it was like, God, I need that. I need that kind of worship. I need that kind of surrender in my life. That's what God beckoned me toward in that moment. And in this time, too, there was a song. Um, there was a song that I, I tripped over about this passage that I want to play for you tonight. And I don't know if it'll resonate with you. I don't know. But it helped me. It helped me understand what this meant. It helped God take this, this story of this woman coming at the feet of Jesus, and it helped put me in the story with her as her. And so tonight, I'm praying you'll be open to that, that God would help you find yourself in this story as you let these words just wash over you. In my life, 
just my lonely heart Fear of man tears me apart And I've tried But so many times I've loved the world So many times I've been at whore I've cried a million tears, Lord, maybe more But so many times I've been at war And I will fall Down on my knees and I will sing I love my love, I love, and I will weep. Oh, I love my love, I love, and my tears will fall down on his feet. in this parable for us. And it's not just academic. I'm not preaching tonight just from my head, if you haven't noticed. Because I think this one begs us to do something a little bit different. To open our heart, to open our emotions, to open our history to the Lord and just to pour it out. I'm not asking for that all at once. Because some of you are like, this is date three. Chill out, dude. <laughs> I get it. But I'm asking you to be open to that because this is the place worship starts, of you understanding how real grace is in your heart. We've talked about it the past three weeks, y'all. This is not a game. Church is not a game. Either the love and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus preached are the real deal or he was a fraud and a liar. There isn't any space in between. And I pray that as you take baby steps closer and closer to that love, 
that you'll understand what John meant when he wrote in 1 John, how great the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. It's not efficient, the way that he loves us. It's lavished. It's extra. And that's the reality that you need to live in this year. It's going to be a cold year if you don't begin your worship this way. Let me pray. Father, I pray especially for those in the room who have never tasted grace that tastes like this. That have never been able to put them in the story, themselves in the story as that character. And I'm grateful for all the theological truths, God, but the deepest one of all of them is this. You love your children and you love us deeply. You lavish your love on us. Help us to live in that reality tonight, Father. Pray all this in your name through your sacrifice, your grace, and your love, Jesus. Amen.